following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. These are perilous times we live in, trouble everywhere. Weary hearts will often give in. To this world's despair But high and over all Our Father knows our every care And in His book, if you will look You'll find His promise there He who trusts in the Lord Mercy shall surround him. He who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. You upright in heart, lift up your voice, for great is his mercy told. All who trust in the Thank you. 
Separated unto the Lord. Separated unto the Lord. Almighty God, you are the Lord of the universe. You are the King of kings. The Master. O Lord, we praise you today. We praise you, Jesus, Son of the Most High. For by your grace and by your mercy, We've been brought into the kingdom of light, and we glorify your name. We praise you and we thank you for what you are doing and what you have done. And, oh, Jesus, we're looking forward to your coming in the clouds of glory. How, Lord, would you bless each of us as we listen to the word? Would you build faith in our hearts and confidence in our steps? Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. There is a hunger in the heart of God to find a people who will be set apart solely for his heart. The eyes of the Lord rove across the earth, searching for a man or a woman who will give themselves totally unto the Lord. Now, how do we give ourselves totally to the Lord? How do we begin to step into this? Well, first, we have to know that it's at God's initiation and not ours. Salvation is not something you and I started. It's something God started. We're not saved because we try hard. We're not saved because we work hard. We're saved because Jesus Christ paid the price on Calvary's tree. And the blood of Jesus Christ then covers us, washes us, and makes us clean. So we have to know at the very beginning that salvation is a work that God has started. And it's a work that God will finish. So the salvation piece is not something that we thought up. It wasn't a carefully constructed design of man's heart. It was done before the foundation of the earth. The plans were laid from ancient times for our salvation today. 
And so we now are invited by the Holy Spirit to participate with God in what He planned. So if He planned it, we can't mess with it. We can't bring our abridged agenda to the Lord God of heaven and say to Him, I don't like the way you're going about this, Lord God of heaven. I think we need to make a change here. No, that's not going to work. The plan of God is very clear. And the plan of God is to save our souls. Now, it's possible as we walk in this Christian life that we can begin to think that God is against us. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is not against you. God is for you. God is not against you. God is for you. Because before the foundation of the earth was created, God decided He would be for you. He knew you before you were born. He already made a decision concerning you, and He said, I'm for you. I'm not against you. If He were against us, we would be gone. We would be dead. We would have faced judgment. For which of us has not sinned against Him? Which of us has not, in every way, spit in His face? Which of us has not lied and cheated? Which of us has not stolen? Which of us has not harbored anger and bitterness in our souls? Which of us has not murdered our brother and our sister? Which of us has not sinned against God? But because God made the decision that He would not be against us, but would be for us, He put into operation a plan of salvation. And it's by grace and it's by mercy. Now I can tell by some of your expressions, you still haven't gotten it. You still think God is against you. Or you think He's cheated you. Or you think He hasn't done enough for you. You think He's let you hang. God hasn't let you hang. God hasn't deserted you. God is not a stranger to your heart. You may be a stranger to his heart. But he's not a stranger to your heart. He knows your heart. He knows intimately every part of your heart. He has examined it carefully. He has wooed it. He has been gentle. He comes with mercy and compassion. He comes with kindness and He comes with love. And He says, I love you. And He poured out at Calvary's tree everything He had for us. He poured out His own life. And so now God comes. He comes looking for a man or woman or a congregation who will respond to His mercy and His love. He comes looking for a people who will dedicate themselves to Him 
in as great a measure as he has already dedicated himself to them. Isn't that what marriage is about? Yes. I mean, I asked my sweetheart, will you marry me? And she said, yes. Then she had to get on an airplane and fly back to Florida where her job and her house and her home was. And then on the telephone, she said to me, Ray, I'm not sure about this. My heart sunk like a stone. She had said, yes, I will marry you. Now she's saying, I'm having second thoughts about this. And do you know what I said to her? I said, I release you from saying yes. You don't need to marry me. You're free. You were free before you said yes, and you're free now. She called me the next night. She called me the next night. She wanted to talk to me because she felt free with me. But what was I looking for? I was looking for her to make a decision like I had made about her. And so God says to you, you want to run? Okay. You're free to run. You don't have to love God. You don't have to serve God. You don't have to worship God. You're free. But if you choose to say yes, he will be greatly pleased. And he will meet you. And of course, after she said, I'm not sure about this. I'm having second thoughts. The next morning in her office were a dozen of the most gorgeous red roses you can imagine. So I said to her, you're free not to marry me, but I got the roses there. God does the same thing to us. You're free to go, Ray. Here comes the blessing. And I'm saying, what is this? Why is God loving me this way? He should be cursing me. He should be casting me aside. He should be judging me. He should be punishing me. And instead of that, he's reaching out with arms of love and he's loving me. You're free to go, Ray. Here's your blessing. I mean, look what he did to Peter. Peter's been fishing all night. He's trying to make a decision about whether he's going to follow Jesus. He loves his fishing because it's money. He's got a wife. He's got a family to take care of. And that's all he knows how to do. He knows how to fish. 
So Jesus is there in the morning and says, hey, hey, did you catch anything? Not a thing all night. I mean, God was busy all night scaring fish away from that boat. (laughs) have, Have you caught anything? Jesus already knew the answer. He'd sent the fish away. He's tired. Jesus says, go ahead and cast the net over on the other side. Yeah, right. Like, you know about fishing? I'm the fisherman. No, cast it on the other side. Any of you ever tell God that? So he casts the net over on the other side of the boat, and what should not have happened, happened. Filled with fish. Now he has a decision he has to make. His boats are full of fish. That is, his boats are full of money. He's got a boatload of money. And God is saying, now step away from that boatload of money. Give it all to your family and come and follow me. Be married to me. God doesn't ask us to come out of our poverty to him. He asks us to come out of our wealth to him. God doesn't grind us down and grind us down until we're nothing and then say, okay, I'm all the choice you've got. No, he he gives us all these blessings and then he says, now, who do you love? Who do you love? Jan, do you love Florida? Do you love the ocean? Do you love your job and all the prestige you have? Do you love all of that? Or are you willing to come and marry this preacher? And she said, I'll never marry a preacher. I'll never marry a preacher. I took that report back to the Lord. I said, Lord, she said she'd never marry a preacher. What are you going to do with her? She's my wife. She sent me the roses. She sent me the roses. And when I got the roses, I knew she was my wife. Have you sent God any roses? Have you sent God any roses? How have you responded to his mercy? How have you responded to his kindness? What have you been willing to give to God? God is not a taskmaster. God is not cruel. God is not hard-hearted. God is merciful and tender and compassionate. His heart overflows with love. But all I tell you, the struggle Peter had was walking away from a lifetime of work and a future of security. To become an itinerant follower of Jesus. If Peter had had nothing, it wouldn't have been a hard choice to follow Jesus because then he'd have something. God doesn't set it up that way. Here you've got all these possibilities before you. Now choose this day whom you will serve. 
you know, what would you think if, if Jan had been involved with somebody else and he had thrown her out and said, you're a miserable wench. I don't want to be married to you. And she had said, well, yeah, I guess raise the next best thing coming. Would that have worked? Wouldn't have been a marriage. Because when the next good thing came down, she'd have been with him. Now, she had to say goodbye to all of her benefits. She had to say goodbye to all of her advantages. She had to say goodbye to her future as a career woman. And become a follower of Jesus. The wife of a pastor. Never forget, she said to me one morning, Ray, I don't know how to be a pastor's wife. What's a pastor's wife? I had to say, I don't know. I haven't been one. (laughs) And that's when the card came in the mail from a group of pastor's wives inviting her to a meeting. So she went with the pastor's wives and they began to pray over her and teach her how to be a pastor's wife. Do you see how God works? So today God is looking for a people who will decide to say yes to his proposal. The agony in saying yes to the proposal is what you have to leave behind. Those comfortable cages of sin where you have comforted yourself for so many years, you have to say goodbye to. Those social opportunities that you've always desired, you have to say goodbye to. Those careers, those jobs, those boatloads of money, you have to say goodbye to. Because when you come and follow Jesus, you become one with him. And he becomes your sustainer. You simply carry out his direction. Now, one man, before he was born, the Lord said, that's my man. I love that man. Now, mom and dad, this is how you're supposed to raise this little boy. You don't give him any wine. You don't give him any grape juice. You keep him away from everything that is of death. This is my little boy. Little boy began to grow. He began to look around and say, whoa, wait a minute. I think that's a pretty girl over there. She's a little Philistine girl. I think I want her. Mom and Dad, go get that Philistine girl as my wife. What was he doing? He was saying, I don't want you, God. You're not enough for me. I want that little Philistine girl instead of you. God said, you're free. You want that little Philistine girl? You go ahead and do it. 
He's on the way down to her house. A lion comes out. God should let that lion devour him. But instead, the power of God came on Samson. And with his bare hands, he kills this lion. Rips him apart. God was sending him a dozen roses. But he goes ahead. He wants this woman. His playing with that woman cost that woman her life and the whole family. They all died. Now he goes He goes into a town where there's another little girl that he likes. He plays around with her. But he gets up in the middle of the night because he knows he shouldn't have been there. He decides he'll sneak out in the middle of the night. He gets out to the city gate and it's closed and it's locked. Power of God comes on him. He rips that gate right out of the wall. Carries it on his shoulders 12 miles before he dumps the gate. Nobody has any question about messing with this man. But God is not lifted up. God is not glorified. Samson is glorified. God is wooing this man's heart. He wants to see this man take one step by faith. All he's asking Samson to do is take one step by faith. One step toward God. But instead he has an eye for Delilah. And he begins to play with his anointing. See, up till now, he's just played with his sin. But now he's taking his wedding ring from God off, and he's putting it in his pocket. And he's playing with his anointing. And she's saying, come on, tell me about your anointing. Tell me what makes you so different. Tell me what makes you such a man. So he plays. He plays. First it's, you know, wrap me up with the bowstrings and weave my hair into the, the weaving loom. And he plays games. But finally he tells her his whole heart. If you cut my hair, my locks, the power of God will leave me. I'll be like every other man. And what's he do then? He's made full confession. He's had his fun. He puts his head on her lap and goes into a deep sleep. And she says, come on, come on, cut those locks off. He wakes up. She says, the Philistines are upon you. The Philistines are upon you. He gets up and he thinks, I've got my anointing. They can't take me. But his anointing is gone. Because God has left. God is gone. 
There's one thing you cannot play with God around, and that's your anointing. There's that inner part of your heart. You can choose to go out and do things in violation of that inner place in your heart. And God will not leave you. But if you go out and violate that inner sanctum in your spirit, and you allow the devil to come into that inner sanctum of your spirit, God will leave you. Now, some of you have been rebelling against God. You've been stepping over into known sin. You've been, you've been doing things that you know were against the will of God. And God, in His mercy, deals with you. My fear is that at some point you will open your heart to darkness and you will begin to mess with the anointing of God that He's already put on your life. That you will take casually Because the world wants to know, hey, come on, tell me, what's this loyalty to Jesus? What is this about? And at some point, if you're not very careful, you'll finally say to them, now this is what the anointing of God is about. And you know what? It's not really anything. Being a Christian isn't really anything. I'm just like everybody else. The only difference between you and me is that I'm forgiven and you're not. You're beginning now to mess with the anointing of God. And if you violate that anointing of God, He will leave you. Some of you are very close to that edge. Will you begin to cast off and say it is nothing to be a follower of Jesus. My heart rejoiced when I heard the offertory today. The Lord prepared the way for this message. The Lord God is calling us away from that casualness where we begin to play with our anointing. And he's calling us over here into the deep water where we have nothing to do with the dead, We have nothing to do with the wine of the world. We have nothing to do with the unclean food of the world. We only have a heart for Jesus Christ. Where we insist this is all we will eat, this is all we will consume, we will have the bread of heaven. We will have the broken body of Jesus. We will have the spilled blood of Jesus. This is all we will have. And so they take Samson, and the scriptures tell us, the book of Judges, that Samson, has his eyes bored out. Bored out. The scriptures also tell us in the 16th chapter that they put bronze shackles on him and they made him work in the prison yard grinding the grain like an animal. 
Then there's a great celebration. They are praising their God because of Samson's defeat. And the word says in verse 25, while they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. That word entertain in the Hebrew literally means to dance for us. To dance for us. I want you to get the picture. The only way they could make Samson dance for them is with a bullwhip. Playing the music and forcing him to dance. Whipping him to make him dance. Some of you think that God is cruel. God is not cruel. The Philistines are cruel. They're the ones who gouge out your eyes so you no longer can see. They're the ones who use a bullwhip to make you dance to their entertainment. To grind in the prison house. We have accused God of making us grind in the prison house. It's a lie. God is merciful and kind, abounding in love, overflowing with compassion. It's the Philistines, it's the devil who would have us grinding in the prison house. Now we're told in Scripture that when a man who has taken the vow before God violates that vow, everything that has gone before counts for nothing. And now he must allow his hair to grow back out. He must bring the appropriate sacrifices. And he must begin all over again. And now his hair begins to grow out again. It is only the Lord God of heaven that gives a man or a woman a second chance. I want to tell you what I wanted to name this church. I did not want to name this church the National Prayer Chapel. I wanted to name this church the Church of the Second Chance. The Lord said, no, name it the National Prayer Chapel. Preach the second chance. (laughs) After we've been shorn by the enemy... We have tasted of death. As we are in agony, grinding out our existence, our hair begins to grow once again. And our power in the spirit of the living God begins to return. Some of you know you have sinned against God. You have joined the Philistines. But praise God, we serve a God of the second chance. We serve a God who comes and picks us up and puts his arms around us. And even while we're in the prison yard, our hair is beginning 
to grow. And as the hair begins to grow, it becomes a sign unto the Lord God of heaven that I desire to be separated out unto the Lord God alone. After the entertainment, they stood him among the pillars. And Samson said to the servant or to the child who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. Literally, bring me back. Bring me back. In the Hebrew, to remember something is always spoken in the concrete, never in the abstract. In other words, this was not a conceptual bringing back that he was asking for. He was asking physically to be brought back into the covenant with God. He was saying, oh God, remember me. Bring me back into this covenant that I made with you. My hair, oh God, is growing. O oh, sovereign Lord. You notice he's not saying, you're one God among many gods, but I choose to worship you. No, he's not saying that. He's saying you are the sovereign God. I want to tell you the terms of coming back to God. They are always to recognize God as sovereign. And then there has to be the cry. Remember me. Bring me back out of this sin. Bring me back out of this destruction. Bring me back out of my rebellion against you. Bring me back out of this. Bring me back into that covenant with you, O God. And O God, please strengthen me just once more. Just one more time, O God, would you restore the anointing upon my life? Let the anointing come on me one more time. I have to stop here and just say, do some of you need to have that anointing of God come upon your life one more time? You have experienced God's anointing in the past, but you went and played with the Philistines. And the anointing of God left you. The hunger for God left you. You became satisfied with the husks. And you've been put in prison. And your life is miserable. And you're saying, oh God, remember me. Bring that anointing back upon my life one more time. I tell you, my heart cries out to God and says, oh God, I need your anointing. I need the anointing of God on my life. I don't want to play with the Philistines anymore. I'm tired of grinding in the prison. 
It's not God's fault I was there. It's because I was playing with a Philistine that I got there. Don't blame God for your sin. Own up to your sin. Own up to the bitterness of your own heart. Own up to the emptiness of your own path. Own up to who you are before God. And say, oh God, could I have that anointing once again? And some of you have been raised by parents who were ungodly. And you grew up and you become even more ungodly. And some of you have never experienced the awesome anointing presence of the Holy Spirit wooing your heart into the heart of God feeling absolutely secure and safe, feeling at peace and at rest, knowing that there is nothing like God. I want to bear witness today. There is no there is no food, there is no experience on the face of this earth that has anywhere near the sweetness of Jesus Christ. There is no experience that can compare to being in the prayer closet in the presence of Almighty God and have His anointing come upon you. It consumes. It is everything. There is nothing like it. I'm willing to spend those weeks and those days and those years fighting alone in the prayer closet, waiting for my master to come. Because when he comes, in a moment, all of the past is forgotten. Some of the loneliest hours of my life I've spent in the prayer closet. If you haven't, it's because you have not yet begun to pray. The prayer closet is the loneliest place in the world. Let me say that again. The prayer closet is the loneliest place in the world. Because in the prayer closet, God allows everything to be stripped away. There's no entertainment in the prayer closet. There are no distractions in the prayer closet. You're just there and the sky's empty. And you're beseeching God one more time. Would you remember me, sovereign Lord? Well, it takes you quite a while to decide that he's sovereign. You don't just go into the prayer closet and decide, okay, God, you're sovereign. He says, okay, you've got it intellectually. Now let's wait on to see if you can get it in your heart. Go into that prayer closet and God just lets you twist in the wind, waiting to see because you have betrayed him so many times in the past. Until finally you begin to say to the Lord, Lord, it's okay if you don't come to the prayer closet. I'm going to still wait on you. You can slay me, but I'm going to serve you. There may be no money in the bank account. There may be no car to drive. There may be no food on the table. I may die in this prayer closet. But I'm going to wait on you, God. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to wait on you, God. You are my deliverer. You are my Lord. Oh, sovereign God, remember me. 
strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. You know, I look down on Samson for that part of the prayer. And I say, Samson, couldn't have you been a little more noble than that? Are you, after all of this, still motivated by revenge? Are you still self-centered and self-sufficient? Are you still focused on yourself, Samson? After all this, are you still selfish? But the Lord put a gentle word in my heart about Samson. He said to me, the only way Samson knows how to express anything is in the language he's accustomed to speaking. Look at what he's doing, not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm willing to sacrifice my life for you, Almighty God. Remember me and bring your anointing upon me that I may do what you have assigned me to do. What was his assignment? His assignment was to deliver the children of Israel from the Philistines. And he's saying, I'm willing to give my life to do that. Now, God said, I'll put you in the book of Hebrews for that. He was willing to take one step of faith. The Lord Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell that mountain to be moved and it will be removed. Samson had a mustard seed size of faith and he was willing to say to God, remember me, give me my anointing back one more time and I will do what you told me to do. I will step out by faith and even if it takes my life, I will do what you told me to do. If I die, I die. I want to tell you, God loves that kind of attitude. And he dies a hero. He lived the life of a reprobate. He failed at just about everything he was told to do in his life. He brought shame to the name of Jesus. He shamed the Lord God of heaven. He caused Dagon to celebrate. He caused the Philistines to praise Dagon. But at the very end, his true medal was revealed for what it was. He said, oh God, one more time, and I will do what you've asked me to do. So you see, I'm not concerned about your past. I'm concerned about your future. I'm concerned about whether you will pray to the Lord God Almighty today and say to him, set me apart one more time and let your anointing come upon me and I will do what you've told me to do. By the power of the blood, I will do it. Some of you today want to spend a lot of time talking about how bad you've been. The Lord's not interested. What the Lord's interested in is, what decision will you make today? 
Will you step into his mercy and his grace and his love? And will you say yes to him? And will you ask for the anointing of the Spirit on your life? One more time, so you can walk in obedience to his word. Will you allow God to separate you out for himself? Or will you go back to your Philistine girlfriends? And end up in the prison yard grinding wheat. Oh God, I don't want the National Prayer Chapel to end up in a prison grinding wheat. Lord, I I ask you as the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth to remember us. Lord, would you remember the National Prayer Chapel today? Lord, every person in this house I claim as a part of the family of the National Prayer Chapel. I know that you love every person in this house. You've called them by sovereign power. You've called them. Oh, Lord, would you remember us? And would you set us apart for what you've called us to Washington to do? Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Who am I in heaven but you? There is nothing here on earth I desire more. My